This is the Kilt in the Clock with Joshua Bell on our Tuesday morning Bible study as we continue uh, the short books of the Bible. And we are picking up where we left off last, last week with the book of Jude, verse 8. Um, just kind of want to refresh our memories a little bit about this one, that this is... Uh, Again, we don't necessarily know the authorship of this, but it's a, probably attributed to someone by the name of Jude. <laughs> you know, uh, whether the big the big part about Jude is is that we historically they um, have a, a connection to Jesus as his brother, just like James, which is kind of a big deal. And historically, the tradition has stayed there. They, they've not varied from that idea that this is most likely Jesus' brother. Um, one thing I didn't mention last week, and I, as I was kind of editing the recording, was is that this is a um, this book influences First Peter, the book First Peter. Um, so that actually gives us um, some, some of the language from it comes back to um, a very Jewish Christian community. Um, and just coincidentally, the if, it, if that's the case, then if, it, if he is absolutely Jesus's brother, then he would have been a Palestinian uh, Jewish Christian, which is a whole different thing, because uh, Jerusalem uh, was this this land of Israel was around Jerusalem, but then anything outside of that was considered Palestine. So, uh, what we would consider Palestine today. So, Jesus being from Nazareth, um, all of his family would have been in what we consider Palestine today, but they would have been Jewish communities in that area, um, and so what has happened since is that most of Palestine uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a huge chunk are Christians. Uh, there, there are still Jewish pockets and there are Islamic pockets all over that area. Um, but most of the places that like when I went and I was there, most of Palestine, specifically Nazareth, I mean, you walk down the street, it's a, you can't throw a rock without hitting a Catholic or a Greek Orthodox church. I mean, it's just, it's literally every block. Um, and, uh, and then there's, there are mosques there and there are, um, the, the synagogues are partly there, but they're, they're not as they're, they're out, they're out in the community. So they're not in the, in the downtown. My favorite experience, uh, while I'm having this conversation was was in Ramallah um, and there was a, a Quaker meeting house downtown uh, Ramallah, which you would not think is possible, but they they actually had built the Quaker meeting house with English oak that they brought over. I mean, it was it was a whole thing and it's it was amazing. Uh, I mean, here we are in Ramallah and I'm sitting in pubes, you know, I mean, like it didn't make sense at all and it was surrounded by a garden and uh, it was awesome but this is 
this this matters because if Jude would have been from that area <laughs> geographically, he would have been in those areas in, in what we would consider Palestine today. Um, and there were extreme pockets of people <laughs> at the end of the first century. So if he is inspiring the book of Peter, Peter then inspires others to write later on, you know, so uh, it's, it's pretty, pretty exciting. I just, I just had to point that out. So this would have probably put it within the first century. Um, it's, it's authorship. Um, yeah, I just didn't get to say that last week about the influence. Yes, Diana. Okay, today, what percent, I mean, they keep talking about the Hamas killing the Jews. Yeah. But what percent of, of Palestine are in Gaza? Or I'm not. Exactly. So Gaza. I, I mean, I know over there, the tiny little bit. I've looked it up on my own map. Yes. Yeah, what right percent here. are Christians? Uh, so there's. It's hard to tell because they don't have like a census, uh, like we do. So you can only do it by visible, visible, uh, visibility and. The people there have had to learn how to survive, and so you could be born Jewish, and you could be uh, practicing Greek Orthodox in the same thing. And so, it depends on whose tour bus you're driving or who, who you're hanging out with. I'm totally serious. Most of the people, most of the the majority of the people in this area around Jerusalem and Judea uh, live fairly peaceful lives uh, and together. And so, whether you're Islamic or Orthodox or Catholic or, or whatever they 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 live mostly peaceful lives. Now this Gaza Strip, right here along the coast of the Mediterranean, uh, is where the majority of the extremists uh, have moved. This, uh, so we we tend to believe like even Al Qaeda was from in bits and pieces there, uh, and then where they the extremists for some reason were right next to the ocean have been for uh, a long time. And the uh, Hamas is just an extremist group of people that, um, how do I say this appropriately? Which doesn't have anything to do with the, the moment, but it does, it does. So historically, that group of people separated themselves from the very beginning. Um, most people say it's because of geography. There's mountains. It's right next to the ocean. Um, they, so they, they, they separated themselves from whatever faith tradition they were in. So they could say they were Jewish, and then they became an extremist Jewish movement. That's not true. Uh, they could say they were an extremist Islamic group, which most likely is where it came from. Um, and, and that was kind of spurred on from the, about the middle of the 20th century on, just on and on and on. And really, it happened in 1949 when uh, Israel became a thing. Uh, when Israel became a thing, there were a lot of people displaced, uh, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, that it was displaced. So there were people already living in what is Israel. And what, what happened, because we didn't know, we didn't live there, is, is that the government at the time uh, came in and said, uh, you, you have like 30 days to get out of your property that you've been living in for 2000 years or 1500 years. And 
and they're like, uh, no, this is my family's land. And they're like, uh, no, it's ours now. And so uh, literally that's how it started. And, and that's where you start to see like the six day war. There's all of these things that take place in 1968. There was a, a, a really, really, I mean, it was a really bad political move. Uh, with Israel and Palestine, um, and they literally put people in uh, internment camps uh, in Hebron and um, all over the place, and they just literally physically moved them out with tanks and and weapons. And so, uh, so this is where it starts, right? So when you get to Hamas, this this extremist group uh, came from there, went away, uh, and and have continued to build up this hatred. For Israel specifically, and we were over there today and saying Judea. <laughs> Is there not fighting? I mean, you know, it's not a large area. But, no. Uh, yeah. So would there not be fighting going on there? There's remember, there's this thirty foot wall that goes all the way around Israel that's got serpentine wired along the top with gun towers all the way along it where Israel Israeli army people sit on it. And the Palestinians that are around there, like in Bethlehem and in Nazareth and all of the other places, they they try to live peacefully. I mean, there's there's a they have three different passports that they have to get to. If you live in Bethlehem but you work in Jerusalem, you have to go through the check-ins and all this stuff. You got to go two hours before you go to work to get through that. So most of them try to make that work, especially around that Jerusalem Judea area. But the further west you go. It's it's no man's land, and they'll all tell you that while you're there. They're like, "No, we just we just want to get along. We don't want to. We have nothing to do with the Gaza Strip." You ask any of them, they're like, "We have nothing to do with them at all." Now, the part that's fascinating is the where where uh, Jesus and his family would have been. It would have been north of all of this, and they they were all shepherds and fishermen, and there there was this. There was always a sense of peace, even when the Roman Empire came in. The only thing that mattered was is Rome owned all the ships. Uh, Rome owned all of the sheep. The So all of the people working uh, were indentured servants to Rome because Rome didn't want to deal with it. But as long as the Palestinian area was taking care of it, it was fine. So when you're listening to Jude, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the language changes because the there's a sense of true fear of death talking about a new king. You see where this becomes as, as extreme today as it was even back then. A new king that will overthrow the Roman Empire. And then you fast forward to 2023 where that language is still being used. Um, whether it's by Christians or whether it's by Jews, or whether it's by the Islamics, uh, you you can take a lot of extreme behavior right off the bat. Think, think of all of the, the groups that take one passage of scripture and say, this is going to inspire me to prepare my way, prepare myself for the second coming. Jonestown. Now, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. You know, Jim was one of those people that encouraged people to move away from society, to get everything out of away from that, be underneath his thumb because he was 
partly partially to set it aside in his mind and, and and elevated people enough to feel like it was okay to, to, to literally uh, participate in this Kool-Aid fest and and um, and and take their lives um, it was that type of extremism that's been taking place since the first century <clears throat> and that totally does go with this um, in Jude the book of Jude which is the reason that it's placed in the canon where it is it it has apocalyptic literature in it like the end of time looks like dot 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 and a lot of scholars have said that we put Jude right before Revelation because of that. Like, here's here's what's going to happen. This is how it's going to take place. But really, the, the objective of the first century was, here's Jesus. Life is good. Um, be careful of false teachers, you know. Um, be careful of listening to the outside voice. Watch out for Jim Jones. But what, what happens is you get... Anytime that you start dealing with people's faith, you have to walk a very fine line of extremism and activism, right? Like I'm actively involved in my faith or I'm extremely involved in my faith. Hamas is an extremist group of people that are focusing in on their faith. One could say that in the first and second century, the Christians were the extremist group of people. They were even going to the point of fighting against the Roman Empire and putting their own life on the line. So much so that it gets all the way up to the emperor by 312. Well, really, it was about 306. Um, and the emperor, Constantine, is saying, well, uh, we we really need to stop this because it's going to get bad. So I'm only pointing that out because this is totally relevant to today's culture, and especially when you start talking about these little books. These little books really affected a lot of martyrdom because um, they were the ones that were being passed around, not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John at the first. The letters were being passed around uh, way more than the Gospels because remember, the Gospels come after the destruction of the temple, which is another extremist act. You see, Rome decided, oh, these people believe in God. Let's wipe away their god, and then they have no one else to worship except for the emperor. And they would only worship in the temple. And they would only worship in the temple. That's right. It's the only place because God set the foot. There. That makes it easy. That's right. I mean, one place, one day. Quick question mm -hmm. and thoughts. Are all of these religions wanting the end of time? I mean. At some point, you have to go there. I, I don't think I struggle thinking Hamas is a religious group. I understand. I mean, to me, they're just they're caged animals over there. They can't do anything, and enough's enough. And they got another country that'll give them all the toys to wreak havoc with. Mm -hmm. My opinion. Mm -hmm. But with that being said, that's how the Jews got back into Israel. Because my understanding again is we can't have, or when they establish their, reestablish their country, right, is when the world's going to end. Which again makes me believe, okay, if you want to go do that, you're waiting on this cow that has this thing written on it, you know, so the world to end. You want that? Mm -hmm. I mean, they they want to be there. 
James Jones wanted it, maybe he just, okay, it's going to happen, so let's all, you know, leave the world. I, I guess the reason I'm asking is it seems like every group is after the same thing, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense, which is Jesus coming back. That I'm walking a fine line as whether him coming back is a good thing. Like, <laughs> I mean, I know yeah, it's I a good so. thing, but there's lots of bad stuff happens before he comes back. Yeah. Generated by us people. The beautiful part about your statement, Robert, is that you've grown up in, a, in, a, in an environment where God is a, a God of love and can be of wrath, but you've had the ability to listen, to discuss, you've had Sunday school lessons, you've had sermons your whole life that allowed God to be flexible in certain parts of the world, such as uh, West Bank and the Gaza Strip, that's not the message that they've been taught since childhood. So imagine somebody being your age and the whole time you were taught from birth that this is these people are the enemy. And it doesn't even have to be a, a person. It's just a group of people. Yeah, and they do everything to reinforce that. That's right. And the funny thing is, is it's not a new concept. So this, this goes all the way back to the first century. Like, so um, I would argue that it goes all the way back to the first century. So this is a, this is a, this is not a new concept. I could argue it goes all the way back to the first century. Oh, sure it does. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and, it, and it's, and in that area of the world has been in constant turmoil for as long as anyone can write down any history. You know, I mean, it just, it just goes, I could go on for literally days on this, but if Jude is being written, if he's the brother of Jesus, right, and we know that he would have been what we would consider from a Palestinian area in Nazareth, where he looked at life a little bit differently, his understanding of his faith would be, okay, so you, you want to be careful of who you listen to, how you worship, what you worship, because everything that we do does not need to be that extreme, which would be being brought up to believe our job is to kill the Roman Empire, that, the, that Jesus is going to destroy everything, even though that's exactly what Matthew does, is that Matthew is going to destroy, the, the gospel of Matthew is to destroy the Roman Empire and lift them up out of their bondage. So it puts me in conflict with the with Rome puts me in conflict with Jewish. Very, very much so. I mean, there's... This is extreme. And, and this is when it's all happened. Mm -hmm. I mean, 65, 70, mm -hmm. there's a reason Rome's wandering around down there. Yeah. You already there's, said that, but I guess what I'm trying to say is the Christians are putting a bullseye yep. on them from several, well, from Jewish and the Empire. Which is a perfect segue into... We don't play well with others. We don't play well with others. <laughs> and it starts right here. Uh, so let's read verse 8 and, and go on. Yet in the same way, those dreamers also defile the flesh, reject authority, slander the glorious ones. See, that's a very I loving statement. Blasph Blasphemous ones, not glorious ones. No, oh, blaspheme instead of slander. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like it's blasphemy. Blaspheme. 
Which is, in my opinion, in Greek, much stronger than to to slander. Blaspheme is literally putting God beneath humans. It's slander. It's, I, I see slander as being human to human. That's right. Blasphemy is human to God. That's right. Well, and, except they're blaspheming the glorious beings who just created Which would be like healing angels. Yeah. Mine says celestial. Oh, nice. I don't know that one. But but verse nine, here's the only time that there's one other time that we assume that this is the Archangel Michael, uh, but uh we don't ever name him. Here it is. But when the Archangel Michael contended with the devil and disputed about the body of Moses, he did not dare to bring a condemnation. Of blasphemy, so it should be right yes. against him, but said, "The Lord rebuke you, but these people blaspheme whatever they do not understand, and they are destroyed by those things that, like irrational animals, they know by instinct. Uh, woe to them, for they go to the way of Cain and abandon themselves to Balaam's error for the sake of gain." You guys remember Balaam? Yes, yeah, uh -huh. that's right. The he's Balaam is going to town, and an angel stops him, but he can't see the angel. The donkey does, and it's my favorite story because the donkey turns oh. around and looks at Balaam and, and talks to him. Uh, it's this really it's great story to tell kids. They're like the donkey talks. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Ah! And then they look at Ted. It's not a flying donkey. It's not a flying talking donkey. No. Uh, for the sake of gain and perish in, in uh, Korah's rebellion, uh, which is another historical thing that we'll talk about it another day. Now, this this word here, these are blemishes. That's not right. Um, I have griefs as a possible. They have griefs as the definition. And when I looked it up in Lexicon, that's what it was. It's spiladis, spiladis. Yeah. which would be griefs on your love feasts while they feast with you without fear feeding themselves uh, yeah, verse yeah. Okay. so it says these are blemishes reeves in my like, translation like reefs like literal shores and reefs so yeah. like there's a coral reefs. like a coral reef yeah that's what so like that that changes the definition completely from these are blemishes but the <laughs> the if you're talking to a culture that understands fishing and hint hint those reefs keep you away from coming to something great there although there's not reefs in the sea of galilee and that's kind of what mine says it says dangerous reefs that can shipwreck you. Oh, yeah, that would be, well, okay. there, that's a great transition. Explain that. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, and the reef is also very sharp. Um, yeah. Dangerous. Mm -hmm. if they, but they also stop big waves from hitting the shore. Uh -huh. So there can be a protection as well. So it's really hard to argue. Her, her, her translation is pretty good. I like her translation because it goes into the, if these are, they're barriers for you and your and on your love feasts. This love feast. Remember that at the time in the first century, they were uh, these love feasts or eucharistas. These great, 
Agapes. Agapes. So there's these these uh these love feasts were them sitting together sharing the love of God. It's the agape thing. So you would you'd be sitting around a table talking about God's love in the name of Jesus. And That's so kumbaya moment. Yeah, exactly <laughs> what it is. It's a kumbaya moment. I hadn't thought about kumbaya in years. <laughs> Uh, that that so while that's happening, they they feast with you without fear of feeding themselves. You can see how that that becomes a barrier from them. Um, they are waterless clouds carried along by the winds, autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, uprooted, uh, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the deepest darkest. Darkness has been reserved forever. Now, to me, y'all, this is Arabic poetry at its finest. If if you if you ever really want to get into uh, some beautiful poetry, Khalil Gibran uh, writes poetry about his faith that's just amazing. What we just read, in my opinion, would be a, a genre of Arabic poetry. I don't know. I'm pretty sure my professors would go with, with me on that, but their focus would be on, but listen to the words. Yeah, I know. I am. I just did. Because then he gets on to verse 14. It was all about these that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied saying, see, the Lord is coming with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict everyone of all the deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and all of the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers and malcontents. They indulge their own lusts. They are bombastic in speech, flattering people to their own advantage. Um, bombastic is haughty. Haughty, that's funny. Uh, so there's a there's a This is one of those moments that you're supposed to know something that you don't know. Evidently, the author has, as they're writing this, has already assumed that you already know about the Book of Enoch, um, which, which, is in the which is in the Apocrypha, but it was also considered a part of the Hebrew Bible. And um, this, this is this would be proof for others that had a problem with the book of Enoch that um, that this was at one time a part of the, the culture and it was accepted as canon um, but it was in flux uh, we, we the Ethiopian church uh, included it as a part of their Hebrew Bible uh, the Catholic Church includes it into the Apocrypha and then eventually takes it out completely um, and then replaces it with, uh, I don't know, Baruch. Yeah, replaces Enoch with Baruch, which again, I use Baruch uh, for our Advent readings for lots of reasons. But this part right here that we just got done <coughs> From verse 14 to 16, those verses are um, something you're supposed to know that's not, we've never read, if that makes any sense. 
I'm going to pause right there. So there's a lot that we just read that I want to kind of break down. Um, Balaam is found in Numbers chapter 22 through 24. We already know the story about Cain. He's found in Genesis 4. Barah was found in Numbers 16. Uh, the, the, the Jewish tradition, is, I want you to hear this commentary because it's pretty cool. The note that the archangel Michael contends with the devil over Moses' body may be drawn from a partially reserved first century Jewish text called the Assumption of Moses. Uh, it's not a really long text. Um, it's really neat looking. Uh, Jude accuses the opponents of slandering the angels, something Michael hesitated to do even uh, to a fallen angel. In some Jewish traditions, the angels were considered the guardians <laughs> of the Torah. Hence, the opponents' disregard dis, opponents's disregard of the angels is symptomatic of their general immorality. So this is, again, a lot of assumptions that are being made that modern-day Christians would not have that conversation unless we were having this discussion. That's the one thing that I got hung up on. First thing we read is, okay, we're Michael and Moses coming in. Yeah, where did I this mean, happen? Yeah. I, I don't remember this part. Michael's not in Deuteronomy. He's not in Deuteronomy. The uh, my favorite part, uh, it's the it's the story where Jacob wrestles an angel, and then it turns out to be God, or however you want to teach it. And and it says that I've been battling the the evil one in front of you for miles, and then I have to leave and go back and fight the battle. Uh, that's where he hurts his hip. That that story. That's the one that is always assumed as Michael um, in the Jewish tradition. The not necessarily God, because remember God doesn't talk to humans at this point. Um, angels, however, in the Jewish tradition do. They are the divine melech, aka messengers of God. They have the ability to speak to humans. They they do in the New Testament. Um, we name them. One is Gabriel that speaks to whom? Does anybody remember? Mary. Gabriel speaks to Mary, and Gabriel is also known as the official messenger of God. That's right. It, it just it, it was a rhetorical, non-rhetorical question, but we doubt ourselves on this knowledge. Is it Michael? And Michael is the... He's got a sword. He's always got a sword, so we always call him the... Avenger or soldier or defender of God. Um, interestingly enough, Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer are are in stained glass windows before anything, any other types of angels. Are they fighting? Yeah, they're always fighting in the windows. Um, again, the Book of Enoch. You already know. You just never read it. Um, was always accepted as a part of the, the Christian canon for some reason. We just took it out and said, well, there's a Leviathan in there and there's unicorns in there and we just, we don't like any of that stuff. So we don't want mysticism. So we're only going to pull out the part we like. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
<clears throat> sounds very human. It's very human. Yeah. It seems to happen today. All the time. If it doesn't sound good, we're going to take it out. So uh, it was it, it was confusing. I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to belittle our predecessors with the creation routine. I need to be careful of that. When they took out the Book of Enoch, there was some real thought to it. It it is confusing. If if my job with you all is to talk about your faith and talk about how Jesus is and read Scripture, and then I and and if you read the Gospels, Jesus is not like this mystical person. You know, he doesn't do weird like waving a wand or any of that stuff. He's just he heals people that are sick. That's that's his biggest thing. And which he, would still be magic. To it would still be magic, but for them, miracles are something they they recognize. And he's the great rabbi, so he's he's not only a great teacher, but he's he's a healer. And uh, um, so they've got that. When you when you add, and then there are angels that have uh, six wings, and they. Uh, some of them are in fire, and some have flaming swords, and then there's these creatures that have a single horn, and then there's uh, a deep sea creature that swallows ships up and, and whole, and, and uh, you know, because there was a kraken, well, we came up with a leviathan. So uh, it, you, you go, that's too confusing. That's not, the, that's not the subject we need to teach. We could teach that in a Sunday school, maybe a Bible study, but we're not going to do that. The assumption of Moses. Man, I wish I had this conversation on Sunday. Um, how many of you know about the Nicene Creed? In the Nicene Creed, there's a part in there that says, and on the it, it, as as he was dead, Jesus goes to hell and pulls them out of hell and takes them to himself. Do you remember that? The original Nicene Creed. That's a part of the Christian tradition in 325. Nothing biblical about that at all. But the church believed that in 325, that when Jesus was in the ground before he resurrects, he, he brought up everybody from hell. Uh, and so that they were not in internal damnation. They struggled with how this worked, but that's that was the culture. The assumption of Moses does this also in the first century. Um, I would argue that the, with the assumption of Moses, it creates the dialogue of allowing Jesus to go to hell to pull people out after he dies and before he resurrects. Because Michael tries to save Moses. Um, so there's a problem. Go ahead. Why would they go to hell? And I'm just, I mean, we'll pick on Moses. Yeah. He human, doesn't, human, but he's hes God's. The assumption of Moses does not call it hell. Mike, Michael goes to Sheol. In, in the cultures of the Greek and the Romans, everybody goes to Hades. Right. In the underworld, everybody, when you die, you go to the underworld. So, so not bad, Shoal's not bad. It's just right. Nothing. I mean, it's not life. Yeah, it's a place. It's that's right. When you died in the first century, before there was any conversation about heaven and hell, and just just to give you all a, a moment to take a deep breath, 
conversation with heaven or hell is still going. Like, we don't have straight answers. I would love to sit there and tell you, well, heaven is exactly this, or hell is exactly that. In the first century, it was even worse than that. Because for millennia prior to Jesus, when you died, your breath left your body, and your body went to the ground and shoal and wandered around aimlessly because you didn't have the Ruach of God. That's it. That's why your body went to the ground in the Jewish world. In the Greco-Roman cultures, your body went to the ground and it would pass into the uh, underworld and it was ruled by different gods or demigods or however you wanted to have the conversation. And Chiron would take you across the river of death, sticks, river sticks, and there's all this, you know, stuff that goes along with it. But at the end of the day, when Christianity starts to get formed, Jesus gives us a different conversation altogether. And now they're having to answer it. The assumption of Moses says uh, that at some point that angels were trying to save those prophets of the past to bring in, to give us leadership in the future. It's brilliant, but notice that it doesn't make it into the canyon. So, at all. It just, it was just a dialogue. Devil's doing the same thing. The devil does the same thing. He's fighting to keep them away from That's right. So now you, now you have this person that's writing Jude is trying to clearly define heaven is for these people, hell is for these people. When you die, there is something that takes place, but there are angels involved. That's it. He doesn't want to go into any deeper theological thought because it's already too com complex for them to write down. And he's and we're and we're and we're only that was that was eight verses. But again, sure, not not hell right. is not hell as my brain sees it. No, this is this is not hell. This is sure. Where Michael goes to get Moses. Does that make sense? And the only reason I was asking is ignorance on my part, but my understanding is uh, Mormon that they will pray for those in hell or try to pray them out of hell. Yeah. I mean, okay. well, did, did the, yeah, well, they don't, they don't do that in me purgatories in between not quite purgatory sure right so I mean, not and in and i'm always going to defend this all, all day long when when uh when you have the the council of nicaea in 325 that says that jesus goes down into hell and pulls people out from from hell and, and puts them brings them with him that was the only thing written um in the name of Jesus, on. So when the Roman Empire falls, fourth or fifth century really starts to fall down, right? And the Roman Catholic Church then begins. Now they're responsible for the entire world, because that's the way they looked at it. Roman Catholic means universal church. Their job was to figure out a way to discuss how does heaven work, how does hell work, 
And this is a group of people where only 2% of the population knew how to read or write. And they, would, and they had they had this thumb on them that said, the church better do what the kings and queens and the emperors tell you to do. So when the Catholic Church, and I'm not I'm not saying that they, that leaders in the Catholic Church sometimes got um, became human. You know, I mean, leaders in any organization. That's right. Leaders in any organization recognize at some point that they have power and then they abuse it. You know, so um, and so we, we have abuses of power. But Dante Alighieri is the one when he wrote Inferno about the different levels of heaven and hell, and in that place. Purgatory became a part of the discussion. And purgatory is this place where what do we do with those that haven't heard the name of Jesus Christ? The only time that it changes is, is when the Catholic Church, just like every other empire, started to run out of, and I'm going to sound rather pessimistic, but this is the Borgia's fault. Just remember that name. The Borgias, the Florentines, uh, they, they start getting involved. Not that I'm bitter in any way. The Medici's, just say it. When they get involved, they they realize that the Catholic Church is broke, and the Medici Bank cannot fault on a loan. Not that I'm picking on anybody. The the so what they say is, if you want to get out of purgatory, you have to pay a penance to all the peasants, and the Medici Bank didn't fault on the loan. And the Catholic Church continued to build their buildings in the name of God. And now, the more you paid, the quicker you get out. That's right. The more you paid, the quicker you got out. And then that's when that started happening. Now, obviously, by the time you get to Martin Luther, the Catholic Church was under a lot of scrutiny. Shortly after that, the Church of England gets created because Henry VIII is just a weirdo and can't Never mind, I'll be clean. So uh, <laughs> it's kind of hard to be clean. He was a disgusting old man, but uh, uh, in lots of ways. And, and, uh, and so then you start to see these breaks from the Catholic Church. And it wasn't until probably about the 17 or 1800s that you started to, the Catholic Church, I feel like, started to clean house and said, now, wait a minute. This isn't what we believe. Now, did we still keep the traditions of penance and things of that nature? Yes, but they don't, you don't pay for that now, right? Like you don't, I mean, Vatican II changed everything with the Catholic Church. You don't, you don't pay for penance. You don't, when you go and you make confession, it, it's between you and God. There's a priest here having this conversation with you. But really, at the end of the day, Vatican II changed that saying, this person is a representative of God, not just the voice of God. I was going to say there's different points in time where the, the church becomes more important than the religion. That's right. I mean, yeah. And they did whatever it took to keep keep them there, whether yeah. it be in power or whether it be their existence. Yeah. And 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 you and you can you can literally go through history and go, oh yeah, and you can do that with every faith tradition. And I and I. <laughs> I know I always sound like I'm defending the Catholics, but I am, even though I'm a, pro a Protestant. Um, the at the end of the day, the, their intentions, I think, mostly were pure. It's when humans got involved and decided it for us, and said, "This is how you will do it." That's when things got messed up. And one of the beautiful parts that you 
that you all have had the opportunity to, to see but never really discuss is this when Vatican II happened, the conversation then expanded and said, no, no, that that's the church of we, we've learned our mistakes. We're not doing that again. You know, and 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 so what you're seeing now, while everybody, almost every Protestant in the world talks about the Pope, is because the Pope is doing things that no other Pope has ever done before. You know, uh, and and why? Well, because he rep represent recognizes that he may be the voice of God for the Catholic Church, but he is only the voice for the Catholic Church, and he sees the necessity in order to work with other Christians to participate in that discussion never happened before right jp2 probably was one of the worst popes that they ever had but also did an amazing job because he he said it's either you're going to do it our way or you're not and then shortly after that they 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 started working towards ecumenical growth i believe it has to do with stuff like this well they're preparing the for the prophets come back I that's mean, it yeah so here in the first century they're trying to prepare for the prophets to come back i think after vatican ii i think what you're seeing throughout all the churches is this, this idea of uh we would much rather work together than fight against each other well did they did the catholic church kind of start changing or open their eyes or something when the anglican church was at that time i don't think so don't think so. Mm -hmm. I, there was a. They didn't care about him. They did. No. They put him down as God. <laughs> yeah, I think historically, it, it was another time that the Catholic Church was kind of going broke, and um, monasticism was really taking off at that point. So, you have monasteries that were self-sufficient and were teaching people the Catholic faith in a much better way than the cathedrals were. Um, and that's my own personal opinion, but I think I could kind of back that up in Europe that you, you start to see, see this and, and it was not an easy separation. There were a lot of deaths that took place on that. And, and that was on King, King Henry VIII's fault. Um, he, he was very anti-Catholic at some point, which was weird because 85% of his country were Catholic. You know, um, anti. Oh, anti-Rome. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say he wasn't anti-religion. Yeah, he was very concerned about keeping his traditions. Gonna, yeah, <laughs> even with all of his screw-ups, he was yeah. worried about if he's going go to go. Trying to remember the the guy was it Thomas Moore? Yeah, yeah, the guy he killed. The right yeah. hand man. His right hand man was was the uh, he created the Archbishop of Canterbury, that as basically the Pope of England. Uh, that's when you start to see issues. Now, I just completely rabbit trailed on you all this morning, but uh, th this 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 book of Jude is is good in the in the sense of in the first century the political climate was just as insane in each of these journeys as it is today. The interesting thing for me, and I think the reason we've rabbit trailed here, is as it brings up angels. Angels are always associated with heaven. Um, there's a conversation of an angel pulling somebody out from Sheol, uh, which is really strange theologically. I would have argued only God could do that. That's I know, right. I only know God or Jesus. 
I know he's a messenger, but right there's there's an issue here. But again, that goes back to Greek and Roman mythology that if you had the right coins to give the to pay the ferryman, you could go in and get somebody out. That's right. So it, it was very very it, much people of that time frame know their stories. Exactly. During the first century, they would have known all of these things that we we just kind of take for granted, you know. Um, Apparently, they got a lot of false prophets. Yes. I mean, that's what they're trying to tell us. Well, he uses Balaam and Korah as examples, and uh, um, they it's just it's just fascinating to me. And each of those angels are involved. Um, Jude is one of one of the only books in the New Testament that really well, he's like I said, he, he names Michael and calls him an archangel. Um which is extremely strange. Um, even in the book of Revelation, you you have a couple other angels that are mentioned, archangels, but which would have, I, I would argue, was written about the same time historically as the book of Jude. There's this conversation about a battle that's taking place between good and evil that I really wanted to point out to you all. And they keep you from participating in the feast that Jesus has provided. This, my brain says that Revelation is more geared towards Rome. It, I mean, historically, yes. This doesn't sound like, I mean, this doesn't sound as geared as much towards Rome. I mean, right. this, this is, watch out for the people that are going to uh, undermine Pull you away. So uh, let's finish this because I love this part. But you, beloved, must remember the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, for they said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers indulging in their ungod own ungodly lusts. It is these worldly people, the devoid of the Spirit, who are causing divisions but you beloved build yourselves up on your most holy faith pray in the holy spirit keep yourselves in the love of god look forward to the mercy of our lord jesus christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on some who are wavering save others by snatching them out of the fire and have mercy on still others with fear hating even the tunic defiled by their bodies. Now to who, now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to make you stand without blemish in the presence of his glory with rejoicing to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. It's a pretty stinking deep theological con construct there. Uh, yeah. This is that apocalyptic literature that I was kind of talking to. There, In the last time, there will be indulging in there. You know, so this is, this is also typical of that first century. That's not uncommon at all. Um, like I, I think we've talked about before, uh, each of the texts... Each of the texts have moments where there is a place, Mark chapter 13, Matthew has it, 
John doesn't really, but um, Luke Luke has a, a moment where in the end time or in the last time when Jesus comes back, there's a there's a hope that they've given to us as well as we give to others uh, of not just Jesus Jesus's second coming, but the moment where we acknowledge Christ in our life is kind of that second coming for them. Uh, anyway, not to ramble on, but this went all over the place. But I think it was important. The I, I know, I know. Right now, there's a lot of fear of of what we see on the news and uh, what's going on. You know, uh, we because we only see one one view, right? We only have one camera angle of what's happening, and we have one reporter that's, or we have multiple reporters in the same place, using different cameras but seeing the same view, right? But we watched the other night um, five different channels, six different channels. It was all the same videos. Yeah. So. They're they're all based on one point of one one central view because that they 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 share those videos with the different stations and they all use that one video but we, we saw like five different stations like, we just saw that we just saw that it's the same video in all of them. Mm -hmm. Well, and the way that is designed in that part of the world, that's that's also strategic. It's also for the safety of our journalists. That's the that's the part that we don't see. Um, the part that is very frustrating frustrating is is that we we put Palestine in the category of Hamas, a whole country in the in the name of one group of people. Now Palestine itself has had its own issues, sure, um, but you have Palestinian Christians that are going wait 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 we had nothing to do with this. We don't want to have anything to do this. You have Palestinian Muslims that are going, wait, 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 wait. We didn't have anything to do with this. We don't want to have anything to do with this. Please just let us go on with our life. And uh, it's fascinating to me because on my Facebook feed, I still have friends that are from there, like our tour guides and stuff. They're giving tours of the Jordan River. Where all of this stuff is taking place on the West Bank. That's just what I'm saying. Like, so their life is continuing to operate as if everything is normal. And while the West Bank, again, makes the news, just like they told me when I was there, uh, they go on with life as if everything is normal. But they will increase the security and they will make sure that their tourists and the people that are there in their, in their country are, are taken care of and safe. Um, and and, and uh, away from Hamas and these extremist scary people. I think it's kind of interesting that Afghanistan had a bad earthquake like two days ago. Right. And you don't see, I have not seen one thing about it on TV. No. It's killed over 2,000 people. Right. A 6.8 earthquake. Right. Yeah. I heard it yeah. too. But there wasn't much air time. It, and there's not much air time on Ukraine. And horrible things are still going on no, there. So, no. so I just, that's old news. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not selling right now. And no one cares about Afghanistan. I, no, I mean, no, we pulled I, out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Russia doesn't like them. We don't like them. No one. That's right. 
just like so I, I point this out because uh my message of hope this morning is that the no matter what the lens is that you follow uh remember that we only know our story today we don't know what these people in the first century were really truly going through we we, we can kind of have a archaeological and a historical and anthropological lens and kind of get a, a sense of but we'll never truly know what it was like just like we will never truly know the the small lenses that we see on the news right now and and uh, I, I I do find it fascinating that as this continues to happen because we're a global world now uh, the fact that we know a country by the name of Afghanistan is mind-boggling, right? Like there's the country named Ukraine. We know where the West Bank is and we know where the Gaza Strip is. You know, like this is, they just said, well, you know those people over in Nazareth. Nothing good comes from there, even that Jesus guy. Um, See, I picture the Gaza Strip more like the people we just read about in June. Yeah, nope. I mean, you know. Here's the, I'm just going to say, here's the evil empire. Mm -hmm. And, you know, anyway, and here's a few fanatics, but the majority of them, I'm assuming, are not. There wasn't, everybody in the Gaza Strip didn't run through those holes in the wall. No. And anyway. No, this is, this is, a, it's an interesting time that we find ourselves in. And it'd be neat for us to, uh, if I was to give you a homework assignment, to to write your own letter to your family about your faith. Like, how does Jesus operate in your life today? Um, or how does how do you how do you believe in God? What does Jesus? What does the Holy Spirit look like? You know, I, I I always encourage people to do this. Yet no one has ever taken me up on the challenge. I think it's because they're afraid that they're writing a Bible book, and I'm like. Well, no, but according to Larry, according, yeah, according yeah. Uh, our Sunday school class, is. Uh, Larry Boyce has his according to Larry, uh, this, the gospel according to Larry. Uh, I think it's there's something powerful about being able to do that, just like our biblical uh, chapters did, uh, to to celebrate that with our own families and the people we have influence over. So, with that, I'm going to go ahead and stop the recording.